This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So, uh, first, let's just start off with something you might even, a familiar verse. It says, train up a child in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they, won't, they won't, will not turn from it. James Dobson, who uh, is a, 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 runs a, a charity, Care for the Family, uh, he says this, raising healthy, well-educated, self-disciplined children who love God and their fellow human beings I believe, is the most challenging responsibility in life. So all the mums can pat themselves on the back at this point. Not even rocket scientists can approach it for complexity and unpredictability. I just think you should do this the next time you're out. If you're a stay-at-home parent, next time they ask you, what do you do? You know, you you might feel a little embarrassed in our culture to say, oh, I'm a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home dad. But if you say, I'm a cultural rocket scientist then that might really go, it might really fly, they might go, whoa, that's amazing. Because in our culture, we have got this idea that, that actually raising, parents is a bit, raising kids is a bit of a cop-out. Raising kids is a bit easy. And really what you should be doing is doing the hard lifting in the marketplace. You should be doing the hard lifting in the world of work. And it's really funny, if you've, if you've not got kids yet, or you're, you, the, what happens is it looks easy. I remember when I didn't have kids, looking at those screaming toddlers in Tesco's with their parents pulling their hair out and think. What is their problem? Just sort these kids out. Obviously, when you have kids and your kids are the screaming toddlers in Tesco's, then you, you find that people you know, you bump into people from church who are in their 20s, some students, whatever, and they, they think, what is Howard like? What is Naomi like? Why can't they handle their kids? Because it's so incredibly easy. And obviously, when you become, as your kids leave home, we're starting to do that, as your kids leave home, you forget how hard it was. And you become this grandparent or this older person and say, well, just do it the way I did because it's so incredibly easy, isn't it? If your grandparents are here and you're doing that, please don't do that. <laughs> Brenny Brown, who I'll quote a lot, uh, she's a, a writer and psychologist. Uh, she says this, We would love a colour-coded parenting handbook that answers all our unanswerable questions, that comes with guarantees and minimises our fears. In our parenting, we're chronically intervening, rescuing, securing and protecting. We want to know if that we follow certain rules and adhere to methods espoused by this or that parenting expert, then our children will sleep through the night, be happy, make friends, achieve professional success and stay safe. We think, where is that book? Actually, it isn't the Bible in that sense. You know, you can't learn it all, but, but the book of Proverbs does have some wise advice, and I want to give you some uh, wise advice. So the first thing is, when you take your, you have your first child, who, uh, first child, if you have your first child, and you, you, they're in hospital, and you feel like, oh, I wish we could get out of this crazy hospital with all the kids screaming and they're intervening and stuff. And then they get, you put the child in the car seat, don't you? And, and you clip it into the car and then you come home and you put the baby in the middle of the room and you think, now what? 
You know, there's no handbook. You don't know how it did. You think, I am totally not qualified for this. I don't know what to do. I've no idea how to, to look after this, uh, this life. And in one sense, you could be really fearful, really scared as if you're going to mess it up. So when I talk about fear, first of all, Brenny Brown in the quote we read said, in our parenting, we're chronically, that means it's not a good thing, intervening, rescuing and protecting. Our culture is so obsessed with not making mistakes. It's so obsessed with, with uh, making sure that we do things perfectly and we're so worried what everybody else thinks that we're fearful to fear, fail. We're timid and we're risk averse. We become these, oh my word, let's be, really be careful about our kids. Now, I'm not saying that we should be casual with our kids and don't care about our kids, but in our culture, we're so obsessed with it, about being safe, being careful. Um, it's not because our children have become more fragile in the 21st century than they, than they were 20 centuries ago. No, they haven't. It's not like biologically they're less able to cope. No, they can cope. But 21st century life is all just whispering all the time, don't make a mistake with these kids. Keep them safe. So what we do, we're encouraged to wrap our kids in round-the-clock care. Now, I'm not suggesting that we have those careless days that when I was a geography teacher, where you bundle the kids into, the, into a rickety old minibus that never passed its MOT, that had no seatbelts, and you're walking along, as I did with one group one day, and there was some caves, and we're on this field trip in Yorkshire, and I said, why don't we go in the caves? And I just said, I've got a torch, let's go in the caves. So we just went caving for about half an hour in this, and there was no risk assessment, there was no forms to fill in, no parents complained. It was like, and I thought, that was a little unwise. I didn't think it then, but I think it now because I've got this, be careful. I don't know if you've got one of these. I'm sorry if I have a go at these things. I'm not trying to have a go at them. We did have one. They, when we had our first child, they, they weren't really invented, and you had to run upstairs and say, are you okay? And then what happened? You got these ones that just gave you sound. Now they give you sound video, streaming video, whatever. They take the kid's temperature, heartbeat, uh, and you've got this on the side, haven't you? And, and, and in one sense, you've been a wise parent because you want to keep them safe. But in another sense, it's this kind of expression of, oh, my word, are they Okay. I remember a friend of mine, South African friend, I met some South Africans here, so that's not relevant. I think South Africans are very much, more, uh, much less risk-averse than us. But he said he could hear his child sleeping. And then the child would... And he'd be, quick, quick, quick! <laughs> What's happened? <laughs> Have they died? And then the child would go... And it, we can become so, so worried about that, that, that this, this, this thing becomes the, the symbol of our fears. But if we're fearful parents, we'll produce fearful, insecure children. Hear that? If we're fearful parents, we'll produce fearful, insecure children, unequipped to stand in the face of adversity, because life is tough. Children unable to hope in the midst of struggle, because they've never faced a struggle. Children unable to cope with hardship. It says in Proverbs 14, 26, Whoever knows God has a secure fortress... And for their children, it's a secure refuge. Solomon, who wrote uh, most of Proverbs, is not saying if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, nothing bad would happen to you. No, he's not saying that at all. In fact, probably quite the opposite. He's saying that knowing Jesus is this inner security, this inner protection, because he intervened and rescued us. That means your children will not crumble under every challenge, hardship or disappointment. I think it's so important 
that, that we understand that, that Jesus came and is our rescuer. Jesus came and is our intervener. Jesus came and is our security and is our protection. And if we believe that, that, that writer to Proverbs says that that's like an inner fortress, an inner refuge where you can hide, where you can be secure, where you can live life big and bold. So you want to have Jesus at the centre. I would say that, I would say that from here. We want to have Jesus at the centre. But so easily we have children at the centre. We can talk about having Jesus at the centre, but actually where's parents, all our energy, our emotion, our time, our hopes and dreams, and even our faith, what we really trust in, becomes subtly focused on our children. It's called child-centred parenting. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that we should neglect our children, have, uh, you know, neglectful parenting. Now, what I'm saying is that if if our lives merely centre on our children, then simply our children will learn to centre on themselves. It's quite subtle because you want naturally to care for these children. You want naturally to give them your best. You want naturally to think it's so important that we do that. We don't want to neglect them and put them aside. But, but the reality is if, you're, if you center your family on them, they will think the world centers on them. I've used this quote before. Yeah, Proverbs 20, 11 says, it's quite ironic here. It says, even small children are known by their ways. Now, is their behavior really pure and upright? No, thank you, Andy. Yes, obviously everybody else's kids are apart from Andy, but then you're a bad parent, Andy. You've not read the right books. No, the reality is our kids aren't pure and upright. They don't spring out of the womb beautifully nice. Our society will say, actually, they're, not, they're beautiful and good, and you just got to bring it out. It's almost like, I don't know if anybody had a cream carpet. Yeah, it's a mistake, Molly, isn't it? We had a cream carpet, and the thing is, you just you think, isn't it look lovely when you have a cream carpet, but forever onwards, you're worried about mucky footprints on the cream carpet. And you can have that about kids. You can think they come out as this beautiful cream carpet, no, no, no issues, and all the danger is you're worried about putting your mucky footprints all over or someone else's mucky pr- footprints. But the truth is, they don't, they don't, they're not born... They're not born as a lovely, clean carpet. Are they really born upright and pure? No, they're not. You don't have to teach them. No one has to teach you to be selfish, and no one has to teach them. PJ and Ashley Smythe, PJ preached here a few years ago. It's a long quote, but I think it's very good. He says, subtly, at first, the child, even a baby, begins to set the tone, program, and pace of the home. Philosophically, we're told to be good parents, to fit around the baby. But before you know it, your routine becomes a slave to little... I could add some words in here. Can I put Phoebe or etc.? I won't do all the names, actually. I'll pick on you. Just pick on you. Uh, you know, they, they, they become... Uh, to add in your own name. Little Johnny's feeding schedule, sleeping schedule, then his moods, his wants and desires. PJ says, instead of joining him joining your family, you've joined his. If he's a bit of form, you decide not to go out for the evening or to go to church and so on. By the age of two or three, he understands a subtle pattern of how I usually get my way. He's ingrained in the child, so they see crying and sulking and other manipulative behaviours and parents who are please, please them and capitulate rather than loving discipline. As a child grows through life, they're in for a terrible shock when they realise the rest of the world is not as good at pandering to every whim as mom and dad. 
It's true, isn't it? You don't want to neglect your kids, but actually, there is a subtle, and you might think I'm paranoid and nasty and I hate kids. No, I don't. There's a subtle fight for control. I remember one moment with my three-year-old son, Zach, sitting on the stairs, refusing to put his shoes on. And I faced him up with, I'm a big guy, I faced him up with all my energy, all my persuasive powers, all my volume of voice. He would not put his shoes on. There's a struggle for power. There's a struggle. Now you could say, well, I could I put him on the naughty step, I can do all these things. But actually, uh, it's interesting, what do you do? This is, you're not going to love this one because you're not very 21st century. Uh, Proverbs 25.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Let, let me just get this right. I'm not suggesting that we, as you go out, we're going to issue all you parents with rods. I don't know anybody who agrees with this who uses a rod. I think the idea of a rod here, and a picture, a picture of the mace in the House of Commons, it's almost like the, the, the word is a, like a scepter, a royal scepter or the mace that says the, a, the Queen's authority is here. Or a shepherd's crook. It's that uh, sense of a shepherd's staff. It's saying that in this family, there needs to be some place of authority. There needs to be some place where, where security and rules are set. And if you don't do that, you're in danger. I saw this interesting little uh, chart. You go, whoa. Okay, basically, if you t- you've seen these type of things before. High relationship, low relationship unresponsive, responsive. What we don't want to be is unresponsive, low-relationship parents where we neglect them, where basically it's no freedom, it's chaos. We don't want to be high relationships. We love our kids and we're unresponsive where we don't do anything about their behaviour, we're just permissive. We don't want to be dictatorial where it's absolutely, there's no freedom, there's no, there's no wiggle room, there's, you can't develop your character. What you want to do is develop that freedom and respect, where there's order and freedom. I uh, am a governor in a really good school, and I'm grateful that our kids got to go to a good school. And one of the things that I observe, and I was chatting to some staff the other day, is that actually there's a sense of respect between the teachers and staff at this school that means actually there's a relationships. The kids get on with their work, they respect each other, the, the parents respect the kids, and there's a sense of freedom and order. How do you create that? It's hard work. You don't say, let's just hammer the rules because you get rebellion. You don't just say, let people do what you want because you get failing schools. You don't say, neglect them because offset are closing you down. You've got to find that, and it's the same for you as a family. How do you create that sense of clear boundaries and consequences? I know people who don't have clear boundaries who exercise no self-discipline, who crash headlong into consequences regardless. And you don't think they're wise, do you? You don't think people who do stupid things, who don't think about boundaries and consequences, you don't consider them wise. But yet at the same time, because our society talks with two voices, at the same time we kind of expect our kids to learn without boundaries and consequences. But yet our world is full of boundaries and consequences. Often the reason we don't respect boundaries and don't understand consequences because our parents didn't. And maybe their parents didn't. Actually, if you break boundaries for your kids, they're not going to die. Uh, Proverbs is great on this. Your kids are not going to die if you discipline them. Do not withhold discipline, those boundaries and consequences from a child. If you punish them, they will not die. 
If you say, go to your room, your kids are not going to die. If you say, sit on the naughty step, or whatever your sanction is, their kids, your kids are not going to die. They might scream and bawl as if they're going to die, but they're not going to die. But the irony is, the writer to the proverb says, if you don't do anything, they might. Lack of discipline, lack of boundaries and structures will ruin them. Discipline your child, says the writer to Proverbs, for in that there is hope. Do not be the willing party to their death. We throw up our hands at the breakdown in society and say, what are we going to do? But at the same time we say, just let your kids do what they want. We've missed a gap somewhere. Let me just land this down for you then. So where does great parenting start? It says in Proverbs, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And that might be that you have a big house and you earn lots of money and you're going to pass that on and they, you're going to send them to uh, Cheltenham Ladies College and, and their children are going to Cheltenham Ladies College and that's how you're going to pass on your inheritance. But I don't think that's really what the writer of Proverbs is getting at here. I think he's saying that there's something that you're going to pass on that your kids is, that to your kids that's precious. And I believe that the thing you pass on is who you are. The thing you really pass on is who you are. Again, Brenny Brown says this, and I've used this quote before. I don't have no apologies because I think it's great. Parenting is by far my most boldest and daring adventure. Who we are and how we engage with the world are as much strong predictors of how our children will do than what we know about parenting. Teaching our children to dare greatly, to live bold lives of integrity, love and faith, isn't so much, are you parenting in the right way, as are you the adult your child wants to grow up to be? So profound. Are you the adult your child wants to grow up to be? Let me say that Stephen, Joe, Ben and Naomi, Rob, Emma, Andy and Vic, and every parent, every person who cares about the next generation, we have to be the adults our kids want to grow up to be. It's a terrible myth, says Brandy Brown, that once our, uh, we have our children, uh, our journey ends and the planning for their journey begins. So what happens is we stop living the life that they want to become and we start to shut, close the shutters up, we start to worry about uh, you know, uh, care and we only visit their grandparents and we only worry about getting them into the best schools. Actually, no, Proverbs says start with God. The first step in wisdom is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at wisdom and learning. Play, play, pay, pay close attention, my son, to what your father tells you. Never forget what you learned at your mother's knee. We have to keep living. You don't say, right, I've done my living now, I've got my kids and I'm going to live through them. You have to keep living. You have to keep living boldly. You have to keep living large. You have to keep taking risks. I remember one of the church leaders and probably doing a talk like this when we had uh, our youngest son dedicated uh, Dave and Liz Holden, a leader church in London, they said this, children must fit around your family as you follow Jesus on his great course, not cause, not the other way around. We've tried to do that, and it isn't like that me and Naomi have been great parents, because clearly we haven't, and if you, the more you know us, the more you realise we haven't done it very well. But I think we never shirked the big choices. We never said we're going to close down or not live big and bold because we're worried about our kids. Uh, when we moved, when our kids were four, three, and one, we moved them to Manchester. We moved them to 
Well, I think they've knocked it down now. That's a picture of Coronation Street. Uh, we live quite close to that actual place in Salford, in Manchester. And all the people said to us about our kids is, what about your kids? What about your kids? What if you move there and they've got no friends? What if, you, what if they move there? What if they move there and, and you're the only family and you're starting this church? From scratch, and you're the only family. How are your kids going to cope? What are you going to do? There's no good schools. There's a high crime rate. Maybe they'll become criminals. What if the church blows? You could have think at this point, no, we're not going to go. We're really not going to do it. We're not going to go to that place that needed Jesus because we think, what about my family? And we're going to pull on back. Now, it wasn't easy for our family, but I think, and I've, I, again, I might have said this before, there were two families if we hadn't gone, that would have been different. And I love both of them. This top family, some of you will know them. The mother was, that mother might be still struggling with drinking. She might be moving from one abusive partner to the next. Her son might be still doing crime and doing time. His brother might be doing drugs. His sister might be crying herself to sleep at night. But that's not true now. Because they're different. They are a great family if you know them. Look at that. The kids, the grandkids, the mum there on the far right. They're just an amazing family. I'm glad we went to Manchester for them. If we'd not been bold, would their lives have just been how it always was? But you know, more than that, and I've said this before, actually the family that really was very different was mine. If we'd not moved, if we'd not st- taken a risk, if we'd not stepped out, if we'd not, if we'd not said we're going to put Jesus at the centre and not our kids, maybe they wouldn't have learned compassion for the poor. Maybe they'd never learned to cope with bullying and life in a failing school. Maybe they'd never learned to be honest and open about their mistakes because they'd seen me and Nazi cry about the mistakes we'd made. Maybe they'd have never known that Jesus can use imperfect people to change lives. Our family's not the same because Jesus left the safety and security of his Father in heaven and entered a world of brokenness and hardship and pain who suffered and died to bring you into his family. He's the one we're ultimately modelled in ourselves. He's the, he's the adult we want our, parents, our kids to become. And we've got to do that. We've got to live like him. There's some friends of mine. Actually, hold that slide. Go back. I just want to say this. God first. Visitors, do you want your kids to grow up thinking the most important thing in life is to have nice granite worktops? The most important thing in life is to have comfortable sofas and decent TVs, designer clothes, foreign holiday stamps in their passport. Is all, the th- all what we're really going to obsess about in Cheltenham is getting our kids into the best schools? We want our kids to live for more than that, don't we? So we've got to live for more than that. My friends Ben and Lois, and Ben's preached here, they look lovely, and I think they were attending a wedding. Ben and Lois went to university, top universities. But they decided they're going to take a risk, and they're going to move to Tony Pandy, the Rhonda Valley, and start a church in urban poverty and decay there. They want to live bold lives of integrity, love, and faith. How did they react when Lois was pregnant? They didn't see it, process it with fear of the loss of income 
or anxiety at the loss of energy from sleepless nights. They didn't have contingency plans in their back pocket to move to a more comfortable town with better schools. No, they dared to live greatly. And that is the call to all of you. We want to live greatly. We want to live big, bold lives. We want to be the adults our parents want to become. Steve Joe, Ben Naomi, Rob Emma, Andy Vick, you're not called to live Ben and Lois's life, but you are called to live a life that puts Jesus first, to live bold for him. Martin Luther King, the great uh, reformer, said this. Even if we cannot do great things, you might never go to an inner city area and start a church or do some great bold venture. But we can do the small things in a great way. So I decided early to give my life to something eternal and absolute. Not to the little gods. He's not talking about kids here, but it could be. Not to the little gods that are here today and gone tomorrow, but to God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why don't you stand with me? For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.